0: Excellent. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Great to see, uh, see you this morning, all the smiley faces um, in this heat outside, this heat wave. Looking at everyone here, I was, I was tempted to, to preach in shorts and flip-flops this morning. But then I thought, let me just keep it decent. Let <laughs> just, just keep it proper. <laughs> but you're welcome, everyone. And if you're visiting, a big welcome to you. For those online, I know my folks are watching from George um, this morning. Uh, so great to have, have everyone here. And um, if you haven't been with us in the last 20 weeks, guess what? We have been deep diving into the book of Revelation. And um, I want to say to you, guys, guess what? We're here. We're here. We're at the end of the of the series. And by the grace of God, we're here. And um, I, I, as Steph said, this has been an unbelievable experience. 20 weeks delving into a book of the Bible that a lot of us, as Christians even, don't often go to. Personally, I can confess, I've been there a bit, and then I've always gone back to the Psalms and the Proverbs and the more comfortable stuff, right? And I've always said, that's, I just need to be with Jesus, that's heaven, I'll be there. Right? But we decided as a church to go and do a deep dive into the book of Revelation. And yes, although there were times when it was daunting, and it was scary at times, especially in the middle section, with all the imagery and all of that, I think you'd agree that by going deep, by by actually going there, we've learned so much more about not only the the book of Revelation, but the Bible. I'll talk about the cross-referencing in a moment. And we've also learned so much more about God's character himself, the power of the lion that we just sang about. He's a powerful, almighty God. And you'll see this morning as I unpack the last two chapters, he was there at the beginning and he's there right at the end. It's amazing. It's a celebration, as, as Steph said. Ironically, eight weeks ago when I started prepping for this, the word celebration kept stuck, sticking in my mind as well. This is exactly what it is. It's wonderful. So well done for persevering through it. I know one of my, uh, the Connect Group uh, uh, members said a few weeks ago, we feel like we need to read this book supervised, almost like parental <laughs> guidance advised. But among, among all of us and in Connect Groups, we, we managed to get through it, and it's been so satisfying just to learn more about, about it. So I've got the privilege this morning to share on Revelation 21 and 22, the last two books, not only Revelation, but the last two books in the Bible. Um, and it's not lost on me how, 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 what a privilege it is. And um, it would be, I thought it would be remiss of me not to just do a quick speed of light recap of, of what we've done in the last 20 weeks. And, and promise, I promise you I'm not going to spend more than two or three minutes on it. But there are th- certain things we did learn. And maybe just to give context for today, I'm just going to quickly touch on a couple of those things. So firstly, um, four principles that we, that we learned. The first one is that this book of Revelation is a prophetic book. It's an apocalyptic prophetic book. It's not a historic, historical book. In fact, it says in Revelation 22, 7, it says, Bless is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. We didn't make up that it's a prophetic book. It says there it's a prophetic book. Which means that we should not be reading this book chronologically from start to finish. If you do that, as John, um, John Anderson, not John in Revelation, as John Anderson said a few weeks ago, if you read it chronologically, you're going to see that me <clears throat> basically um, the earth ends seven times. Which is confusing, right? Because, But if you read it with the understanding that there's a cycle there those seven cycles within the book of Revelation, it starts making way more sense. So that's the first thing. It's a prophetic book. The second thing is, from a time, time frame perspective, in, in church history, the time frame of Revelation is from the first coming of Jesus, when he came to earth to die for us, when God sent his son to die for our sins on the cross, to the second coming of Jesus. That's still coming. Which means, guess what? We're in the middle of it. We are experiencing... What's being described in Revelation? All the imagery and symbolic things that you read about. <clears throat> thanks, them. I've got two glasses now. Thanks. <clears throat> but thanks. Thanks for being so caring. <clears throat> um, the time frame, we're in, we're in the middle of it. And if you just look around and we'll pray at the end about it. Um, I mean, <clears throat> Israel's being attacked at the moment. There's a war going on. Right now, yesterday Hamas attacked Israel big time. So we're in the middle of this revelation piece. That's the second principle. The third principle is, on the, on, based on the fact that this is a prophetic book, there's a lot of symbolism in the book. And in a, book, in a prophetic book like this, <clears throat> one needs to take the symbol, symbolism as is and then look at the literal. If you look at the literal first, you're going to be overwhelmed and confused because where are the beasts and where are the dragons and where are... Those with ten heads and ten crowns. Where's all of that? There's a lot of symbolism in there. Hence all the references to, all the, to, the, to, the, to the other parts of the Bible. And then the fourth principle is, and this is my friend, our friend Simon always reminds us to read before and after Scripture. But Scripture interprets Scripture. We saw that so categorically in Revelation. In fact, doing a bit of research, there are more than 1,000 references <clears throat> Uh, in, the, in Revelation to the Old Testament. More than 1,000. And there are more than 44, there are 44 verses in the New Testament that talks about Revelation. Which, which just confirmed to me that it's not 65 books plus Revelation. Revelation is part of the Bible. He yes. almost wanted to read, I was, as I was reading Revelation, I went to the, to the other parts of the Bible, I was like, thank goodness for the other parts of the Bible. But guess what, Revelation is part of the whole Bible. Yes. The beginning and the end. So those are four principles I just wanted to recap on, to start off with. Now, in terms of the actual layout of the book, there are three parts, if you can think about it like that. The first part, which is Revelation 1, 2, and 3, if you remember way back at the start of the year, (laughs) is effectively what we can call Jesus, the Lord of the churches. If you recall, after the introduction in chapter 1, there were seven letters that Jesus wrote to the churches at the time. And we, we preached about that. We did a deep dive into each of those churches, Philadelphia, Laodicea, etc. And these are pastoral letters to the churches at the time. A very broken, afraid, uncertain, confused church at the time. And although it's specifically written to, specific, to some of those specific churches like Philadelphia, etc., there's also at the, of, at the end of each letter, there's a universal application to all churches. And when, in all those preachers, if you go back, you'll see that we, as a church, as a center church, learned heaps, a lot, about yeah. what's God's perfect picture of the bride? What are some of the correction we need to do? What are some of the commendation? It's, it was a lesson for us every week on how God wants us to do church and to go out there and win, win souls for Him. So that was the, that's the first part, chapter 1, 2, and 3. And then came the second part. 17 chapters, from chapter 4 to chapter 20, which one can title, in light, in light of the song we sang this morning, also, Jesus, the lion over the nations. And to be honest, that, that is, that's the period in the book where we all got a bit overwhelmed at times because of the symbolism and the imagery that Steph put up on the screens the other day as well. It is powerful. It's intense, right? Because it's about God's judgment, about the, the, the end times, the last days, about the millennial reign, about the times we live in at the moment. Those are, that, that is, that's the middle, middle section there. But don't fear, there's a part three, which I've got the, which I've got the privilege of uh, pre- preaching on this morning, and one can title it Jesus, the Lamb Among Believers, the, the Lamb Among Believers, which is effectively a vision of the eternal future of God and His people, about the peace and serenity that God is preparing for us already. That if you've got Jesus in your heart, you're experiencing some of it already. That's, this, that's this, the third part. And that's what we're going to um, double-click on this morning, if that's okay. All right, so that's the Speed of Light overview. I'm not going to go into more because there's too much to go back into. So if we can get into Revelation 21 I'm going to ask you to turn. This is the only passage I'm going to ask you to turn to this morning, although I'm going to read a lot out of the Bible. <clears throat> Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5. You can turn to it, you can click on it. I'm going to read out of the ESV, the ESV version, five verses, and then I'm going to unpack five themes this morning out of the two chapters. So I'll just give you a second while I take another sip of water. All right, I think we're all there. I'm super excited for... For the next 25 minutes or so. Okay, so let me, let me start reading Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. <clears throat> and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man I mean, when I read that, I thought I could build a whole preach just on five verses there. There's a lot in there. But what I decided to do is, reading chapter 21 and chapter 22, <clears throat> I've extracted five themes this morning that I want to unpack systematically with you, starting with, with this. So the first theme this morning, one can call a new heaven and a new earth. That's the first theme. And it starts off with saying, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And guys, this isn't uncommon language <clears throat> or something new. If you, it's, it's, it's throughout the Bible, and just to illustrate it, if you go to the Old Testament in Isaiah 65, you don't have to go there, but in Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 18, it says, if you just listen to the similarity, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and a people to be a gladness. That is like <laughs> almost exactly what we just read in Revelation, right? Scripture interprets Scripture. Then let's fast forward to the New Testament, 2 Peter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Unbelievable, isn't it? So if one reads new heaven and new earth, it's tempted to think that, one can easily think that God's going to come and just recreate everything again. It's going to be Genesis all over again. New heaven and new earth. However, if you look at the Greek meaning of the word new, In this context, it's not the word naos, a totally new thing, but the word "kainos," which is a renewed or made new thing. In other words, God's not going to come and wipe out plan earth because of everything that man's done on earth or just start all over again and do Genesis all over again. That would effectively constitute victory to the enemy if that happens. He's going to come and transform, perfect Renew what's already being created. It's just something to, to think about. <clears throat> um, the other thing is, if you if you look at what we read earlier, it says, um, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, the sea, in Revelation, if you remember, <clears throat> is a symbol for the source of where the satanic beast and death lives in the sea. The sea is going to be no more. That's going to be gone. It's going to be new heaven and new earth, and those are always mentioned together, because earth and heaven is going to be together now. It's going to come down from, God's going to come down from heaven, and we're going to be together, reunited with God as his people. That's the first theme I want to just highlight this morning. It's going to be a renewal, a transformation, because God is a transformational God. He makes new things new in our hearts, and in this instance, he's going to renew what was created. He created it. He's not going to wipe it and go. So let me try again. That's, that's not going to. It's going to be a renewal, made perfect. Okay, so that's the first theme I just wanted to lift out this morning, <clears throat> which brings me to the second theme, which is super um, exciting. For me, exciting for me is it's it's called the eternal covenant is fulfilled. That's the second theme that pops out, and if you read chapter two and three again, it says, "And I saw the holy city. It's an important word here: city, New Jerusalem." Coming down out of heaven from God, <clears throat> prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. <clears throat> so it's significant that this glorious dwelling place is described as a holy city. because if you think of a city, a city is where people dwell and interact with each other. If you think back to um, covid 2020, the hard lockdown. Remember, we had like an hour somewhere, two hours, you could quickly go to pick and pay and buy stuff. And then you drive around, there's no one on the streets. It was like eerie, it's like scary. And you go into pick and pay, and half the shelves are blocked off, and there's nothing there. I remember going to Rosebank, where our offices are, there's no one in the office, like 5,000 bu- um, people sort of size office, there's 400 people in the office. It, it felt all all this around us without people, it's not a city, it's a shell, it's just buildings. And the reason why why, why it's described there as a holy city, near Jerusalem, is because there's going to be there isn't isolation. There's going to be perfect communion again <clears throat> between God and His people who He created. That is that is so ex- ex- exciting to think about. There's going to be we're going to be literally together with Him again, all the time, forever. And if one look at this verse again, He dwells with he, dwell, he will dwell with them, and they will be His people. <clears throat> That's one of the most repeated verses in the Bible. In fact, I've found 44 references in the Bible to that. Just to illustrate a few, if I go back to the Old Testament, Exodus 29, 45, it says, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. In Zechariah 8:8, And I will bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Jeremiah 31 says, at that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Him with us. That's, that's the whole, that's the mission. And then, get this, right in Genesis 3, right at the start. The, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. See, the plan and purpose of God from the beginning was to be in perfect covenant, in perfect relationship with these people, and to dwell among them. That's what he he created in Genesis. Then the fall happened. Adam and Eve messed it up, right? And then God's redemption through our church history was to restore that plan, to to transform that plan again and renew it through a number of covenants, including the new covenant when Jesus came to earth to die for our sins on the cross, which again gave us access to God in that moment. But what's happening here right at the end, Alpha and Omega, is when that new heaven, new earth comes, that new Jerusalem, that eternal covenant is complete complete fulfillment of that eternal covenant because God's being is back with his people, which was the original plan. And just that picture and the fact that I understood for the first time actually Alpha and Omega, it was there in Genesis at the start. Covenanting, walking with man, right at the end, fulfillment of that covenant again. And just to back it up, in Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5, I'm not going to maybe write that down to go and read separately, but Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5, speaks about the restoration of Eden. Eden is completely being restored in this end time. So that's the second theme, the the complete um, fulfillment of the eternal covenant, Okay, which brings me to the third theme. So what is this new heaven and new earth going to look like? Because the bulk of chapter 21 and 22, if you go and read it, is made up of describing what this <clears throat> new heaven and new earth, this new Jerusalem is going to look like. But again, we need to remember what we said at the start. One of the principles are that there's a lot of symbolism in, in, in Revelation. We need to understand that. And it says in verse 10 also, John is carried away in the spirit where the new Jerusalem is showed to him. He's looking at it from a spiritual perspective. Okay, so a couple of elements I want to point out around this, the description of this holy city, this dwelling place between God and, and, and his people. The first one is the reference to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, in this instance, is less a, a, literal, a reference to the literal city of Jerusalem in Israel, but more a symbolic reference, which I'll un, unpack in a moment. See, towards the end of the Gospels and in the early part of Acts, Jerusalem loses its significance to an extent. And Jerusalem from then onwards is more referenced to as the city or the, the, God, uh, the people of God. The, the peop, city or the people of God. That's what Jerusalem means. In a similar way, Babylon, if you look at Re- Revelation, refers to the city or the people of this world. Babylon, people of this world. Jerusalem, city or people of God. That's the reference to this new Jerusalem. This holy city where, man and God, where God and man is going to dwell together again so that's the first thing to to just remember the second thing is if one look at some of the elements of this holy city house described i'm just going to touch on a few the first one is in terms of the light that's going to be there label and i spoke about it this morning it's going to be radiant verse 23 in chapter 21 says the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of god gives it light and his lamp is the lamb see god god who is light and jesus who is the light of the world is going to be there there's no need for anything else. There's no need for a sun, a moon, or anything else. He's going to radiate he radiates so much light. I don't think we're going to be able to face him without sunglasses. <laughs> we're not going to be able to actually stand up in his presence. It's going to be so bright. That's the beauty of it. That's the, his glory that's being, that's being displayed. Then secondly, in terms of presence, verse 22, it says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There's no need for an Ark of the Covenant. There's no need for a tabernacle, Holy of Holies. There's no need for a temple or a church that depicts the presence of God. Why not? He's going to be there. Yeah. It's a city. We're going to dwell with him. He's going to be there. It's unbelievable. We're going to have, like here, direct access, straight, not, not in any other way. <clears throat> then in terms of, of, um, of access, um, verse 27 says, <clears throat> But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In terms of access, if you've got the mark of the Lamb on you, if you've accepted Jesus as your your Lord and Savior, you're going to be there with Him. And none of the other, um, as described later on in Revelation, none of the dogs outside are going to be allowed in. That's the access. Us with our Father all the time. And then in terms of describing its magnificence, Verses 9 to 21 are effectively the physical descriptions of the city, which, if you look at from, some, from a symbolic perspective again, it's about the glorified church which reflects the glory of God. You'll see when you read that, and I'll quickly just quote a few pieces there, it's, it's, it's depicted as a very um, wealthy space, but it actually represents how valuable God sees his people. That is what it's talking about here. It's not bling for the sake of bling. It is how valuable we are to him, and that is what he is preparing for us, a beautiful, beautiful holy city. And just to read a few descriptions, it says, It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. And the twelve gates with 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Imagine driving on gold instead of bottles. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's going to be unbelievable. And again, it's, it's not bling or anything. It's God's value and wealth being bestowed on his children. That is what he's preparing for us, a most beautiful place. Okay, is that helpful in just understanding the picture <clears throat> of this holy city? And then, lastly, the measurements again, something we can get caught up on, get sidetracked by if you took it, take it literally. Um, <clears throat> if you're going to actually go and measure it out, you're going to start drawing a gold cube, a thousand kilometers by thousand kilometers, or whatever square cube. It gets it gets too too technical because then you can go and start putting people in that cube and then work out there's going to be 12.4 billion people in. No, that's not not the point of this, right? Throughout the book, there's been symbolism and we've learned about numbers. And just to illustrate this, see, God knows, he knows what he's doing. He's going to restore and transform and perfect these things. So he knows what the exact um, size of this is going to be, how many people is going to be there. It's not 144,000 per se. There's symbolism behind this. So just to illustrate this, the 12 gates... 12 gates with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on it, the Old Covenant, and the 12 foundations with the name of, the Je- of Jesus' 12 apostles on it, the New Covenant, <clears throat> that, that points to the fact that those who followed God in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, and those who followed Jesus in the New, new Testament, all going to be there, it's end to end. And then it ca- goes on to emphasize that, it says that the length and the width of the city, 12,000 by 12,000 stadia, so it's not just 12 by 12, it's 12,000 by 12,000. And just quickly, based on what Sam also taught us last week, that the 10 is the perfect number, the complete number. So 12 times 10 cubed, all dimensions. Again, God knows he's, how big it should be. He'll determine that. Who's going to be there? Jesus followers. All that we should be worrying about is, are you going to be with Jesus or are you going to be without Jesus? Because you want to be there. That's the point. Let's not miss the point here. Otherwise, we get worried about the trees. We miss the, the, the forest. Okay. So, <clears throat> so I just wanted to, do, um, I'm not going to spend more time on the measurements. Otherwise, we can do a whole science lesson on it. It's not, not necessary. Okay, so that's the third theme. Then the fourth theme <clears throat> is literally the three words, it is done. It is done. And I'm going to read it now. Here's the question. What will God be doing in this new heaven and this new earth? So we're going to be there with him. What is he going to be doing? Well, it's clear. In verse 4 and 6, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. <clears throat> Isn't that amazing? And I'm So, if you're sad about something at the moment, that's going to be gone. If you're crying about something, that's going to be gone. If you're mourning about loss, it's going to be gone. If death has hurt you you, or your family, it's going to be restored. There's going to be be a complete renewal of everything. It says there, for the former things have passed away. Now you might be saying, Skalk, so why why can't Jesus just take it away now? If I follow him, I've got the Holy Spirit in me. Why can't he just remove some of that sadness and some of that illness right now? friends, he can. The Holy Spirit is powerful. He can do that if he wants to. He's God. And to illustrate this, I'm going to share a, just a personal story again, which I've shared once before when I did my testimony. So our son, Eckhart, who's seven years old, he was here a bit earlier. He was born blind in his left eye. He doesn't have sight in his left eye, but from birth, it was like that. So it's all good. He's, fully, he's, he's, he's a great little boy. The reality is, though, whenever we've read the story, it happened twice, where Jesus heals the blind man. He asks us, can you pray for me so that I can be healed? And we say, yes, we can. And we lay hands and we pray for him. And when we say amen, he asks us, so can I see now? And I say, I don't know. You tell me. No, I can't see it. I can't see yet. Why, 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 why hasn't Jesus healed me? And the answer is, I don't know. But I also don't know why he's such a beautiful child and such a smart child and all of that. And what I do know is, what we said to him is, that Jesus loves you, he made you, and you've accepted him as your savior, which he has done. So he's either going to heal you on earth, or he's going to heal you when he sees you one day. But you are healed. And when we've explained it to him like that, it, w- it settled the matter. And for the last year and a half, we haven't, he hasn't asked us the question again. Because he's either going to be healed on earth, if Jesus, if that's his will, but Jesus knows his story and his plans for his life, or he's going to be healed with Jesus one day. So I want to encourage everyone who's going through through anything, Jesus can heal it right now, or it's he, going to be healed. But you are healed. Just just take that. Okay. So that I just wanted to. Do, um, <clears throat> that's verse four. Then verse six. And he said to me, "It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And this is." An amazing sentence we should not miss. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Firstly, on the Alpha and the Omega, we already spoke about it. He was there at the start, Garden of Eden. He's going to be there at the end. Eden's being restored. So we're clear on that. That's amazing. It's an amazing picture. On that second sentence, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment, when I've thought about, when, I've, when I prepped and I prayed about that, I asked myself the question <clears throat> why does Jesus regularly use water, living water, springs of the water of life, to, to explain what he wants for, to give us? And I think it's because it's easy to understand and for the following couple of reasons. For instance, if you are sick, so sick in hospital and you can't eat, what, what do they do? A straw and they still give you fluids. Water. You can still drink even if, you still, if you, even if you can't eat. If you are filthy dirty because you played rugby on a muddy pitch or you worked on your car and you're full of grease or you're living on the street and you haven't bathed for a few weeks, guess what? You can still drink. You can still drink. You don't re- lose that capability. And even if you can't afford anything, food or anything, you just need to find a source of water, a tap, and you can still drink, Right? There's only one requirement. You need to thirst. You need to thirst. So what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying is, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. What he is saying is, if you have a void in your life spiritually, emotionally, if this world is not satisfying you sufficiently, guess what? He's saying, come to me. Be thirsty. If you're thirsty, I will give you from this water of life the Holy Spirit, it will quench your thirst without fail. That's his invitation. And here's the kicker, without payment. You don't have to do anything, friends, to, to deserve this. Without payment, he sent his son to die for us on the cross. It's done. It is done. We, said, we just said that. You just need to thirst, open your heart, and he will give it to you without payment. That's what grace is, unmerited, undeserved favor. That's what he wants to give each one of us. And we're going to come back to that right at the end. So that's the, that's the fourth theme. And the last theme, and also a fact, and I love this it says, Jesus is coming soon. That's a fact. It's beautiful. And to illustrate that, I'm going to read a couple of verses right um, at the end of, of, of chapter 21. <clears throat> Starting in verse 7, it says, Look, I am coming soon. This is Jesus speaking. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Then verse 12, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, Eden, restored, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And get the last three verses I'm going to read. Verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears says, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things, Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the last verse in the Bible. I don't know if you've read this before. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus will be with God's people. Amen. It is an amazing celebration thing to think about. He's saying, I'm coming. But what struck me was, right up to the end, Jesus says, come. Right up to the end. He could have a few chapters earlier just said, this is enough. Everyone's heard enough. They know what they need to do. Right up to the end, he says, even if 99 are in the camp, but there's one sheep missing, one light out there, come. Even to the dogs outside, who's, who's um, <clears throat> got a thirst for sin, sexual immorality, etc., he says, come. You see, Jesus can progressively remove that thirst as you drink from the spirit of life. He'll, have, you picked, have, you, have you noticed, if you start eating healthy food your, 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 your um, craving for junk food disappears. Let's rather focus and drink from the spirit of life than feast on the fleshly stuff. And to land to this, I want to, I want to read Galatians 5:16 16. It says, So I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Come, drink from me, the source of life, and you'll have uh, You'll have uh, something that will, that will quench your thirst into eternity. You'll be with me in this new heaven, in this new earth, in this holy city <clears throat> where I'm reconciled with you and where my mandate, my purpose of this world is fully reconciled again. Is that okay? Yeah. Guys, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love, I want to ask Lebo um, and, and, and the team to just come up. We're going to, you picked up, we sang two songs this morning. We swap things around. We're going to finish with a song that really just was in my spirit this whole week. And as, as Lebo gets ready, <clears throat> I'm going I to, to pray for us. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to, if there's anyone here this morning who has a void in your life, who is not being satisfied by earthly desires, who feels something is missing. We just heard God saying that for those who are thirsty, come. Come drink from the fountain of life, the Holy Spirit. I want to invite you. I'm going to pray a prayer. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to open up your heart and invite Jesus into your heart, and 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 be filled with this this um, uh, the source that never dry, never dries up, that never disappoints. Yeah, just pray that prayer with me um, as, as I pray, and then we're going to stand and we're going to just. Uh, Go into time of ministry and sing this song. And if you if you feel like you want to come and uh, <clears throat> pray with us at the front here about anything, please feel free to do that. There's no pressure, but this is a this is a special moment at the end of this book where we learned about God's character, about where we're going, about who He is. He's saying, "Come, guys. We don't want to be not be in that selfie that's, that Steph put up the other day. You want to be in the selfie that Jesus takes." Is that okay? So let me pray first, um, and then Lebs, we're going we're gonna to sing. Father God, thank you, Lord, for this time together this morning. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that you are a gracious God, a God who loves us as your children. And Father God, I just pray this morning for, every, for all of us here this morning who, who might have a, a void now in, in our hearts, something missing, who's thirsty, who's trying to quench our thirst, in fleshly worldly things Father God I pray in the name of Jesus that you will convict us right now Father God Holy Spirit that you will just move in hearts right now and if that's you if you if you have heard this message this morning you feel that um, you want to be in a relationship in this covenant relationship with something bigger being Jesus Christ a living God not a dead God a living God I want to ask you to just open your heart and pray just follow me in this prayer Um, and it will just ensure that you're also with us with Jesus one day so Lord Jesus I just pray Father God I acknowledge that you are the son of God that you came and that you died on the cross for our sins Jesus I acknowledge that I'm a sinner but I've sinned and I ask you to just come into my heart right now To wash me clean with your blood, Father God. To just be the Savior of my my life and the Lord over my life. Father God, I accept you into my life right now. And I thank you that I don't have to do anything to to receive this. I just have to have a thirsty, open heart to accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're asking yourself, how can I take this further, you can start by going on our website. There you can access all our previous sermons, our banking details, get in contact with us, or just find out about who we are. If you consider yourself as part of Center Church, we want to thank you for your ongoing support and your continuous partnership. Thank you so much for joining us, and have a wonderful day.